0: Well, we've been talking about uh, vision. You received a little note-taking guide. Today you're going to, I don't have the scripture right in your notes, so you're going to have to um, actually open your Bible or open your cell phone to the right uh, thing for uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 9, Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 9. We're not going to take a long time here today. I'm not going to go through all this. I just, when I was preparing uh, this morning, kind of refreshing myself and what I wanted to share I felt like the Lord gave me something very specific to uh, to focus on right here at the very beginning. Now, we, we've been talking about this idea of vision, and we talked about how Nehemiah got his vision. Remember, his brother came back and shared with him the, the need that was happening in Jerusalem, and the walls were broken down, and the city was vulnerable to attack, and people were dominating it, and this kind of thing, and Nehemiah just is... He just overwhelmed, and he just falls to his knees, feels the burden of the Lord, and he begins to pray, and God puts a vision in his heart, and the vision that God puts in his heart as he begins to pray is that these walls are all restored, that the gates are rebuilt, that the city of Jerusalem is secure again, and that worship can happen in there without fear, and that people can uh, can take their treasures and store them up, and they don't have to be worried that every that it's going to be constantly taken away from them, and this Kind of way, and and so the vision is very strong in him. Finally, it, it comes to the point that he he risks everything, and he goes to his authority, the king in Babylon, where he's been working as the cupbearer to the king. And uh, the king says, you know, what, what is this? You know, sadness of heart I see on you. And he begins to add, share with the king what his burden is, and the king uh, hears the vision that's in his heart to see. Jerusalem restored. He, he, he sees that he's really thought about it and he has a plan and this kind of thing. And so the king gets behind him and says, says okay, you go ahead and do this. We'll give you the letters that you need. We'll give you everything that happens. And then he comes all the way. Remember the thousand mile trip that he takes. And he picks up the wood for the restoring of the gates and, and has all these different uh, letters that have been written to give him access so he can come. And he finally shows up, but he doesn't immediately begin to um, uh, begin to kind of tell the people what to do. Remember, the first thing he does is he takes some time and he goes around the walls and he investigates and he sees what's happening and finally he comes to the people and he says, you know, this is, this situation is no good, it's, it's got to change. And he challenges them, will you join me? Will you help me? And, and they all say, yes, you know, yes, we're with you. And he shares his strategy that every, every family will take a piece of the wall and will work on that piece of the wall. And, and, uh, and, and everything goes good, everything goes positive uh, up to that point, which is where we are right now. But one thing you have to understand about vision, and many times people do not, you don't understand it about the vision of God in your own personal life, you don't understand it about the vision that God wants you to accomplish, is that vision is always a lightning rod for criticism. Most people's vision is not killed because of lack of money or lack of people supporting them or lack of authority or being behind them or any of those kinds of things. Most people's vision is killed because they don't know how to endure criticism. They don't know how to handle it when people come against them. And uh, I want to talk to you, uh, we'll talk about it today, but we'll talk about probably maybe next week too. I want to talk to you about this this idea. And uh, in your notes, number one, vision always displeases somebody vision always display. It, it, this doesn't matter. It could be, we could be talking about a vision uh, to accomplish some mission or to do something, or we might simply be talking about a vision for your personal life. That is, remember what a vision is. A vision is a picture of the way things ought to be. If God had his perfect will in your life, some of you received visions this weekend. It wasn't a vision necessarily about the mission that you were going to accomplish. It was a vision about the life that you you want to live for God and what you want the person you want to be and where you want to go in that kind of way. And every time a vision comes to a life, there will come criticism also at the same time. Why? Because even your internal vision, even your vision for wanting to walk holy or wanting to walk pure or wanting to uh, be uh, uh, used of the Lord in the power of the spirit, even the, your vision like that will always displease somebody. Because somebody has an investment in keeping things the way they are. Uh, Nehemiah chapter two, verse nine, it says, Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river. So now remember Nehemiah's now gone. He's talked to the people. The people are all with him, but there are these local rulers that are in that area, not Jews. They're other other nations, other peoples, but they but they are under uh, the king of Babylon, and they've been set in as governors in this region. It says, and I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. So he's coming and telling them, I'm here not on my own initiative. I'm here because I've been sent by the king. And he says, now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. So he even has the king's army with him. And look what it says in verse 10. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And uh, in your notes it says this, vision is all about change. Taking things from where they are to where they ought to be, right? So here's where we are, but here's where we ought to be. I can see where we're supposed to be, and so I want to begin to move toward that. The moment I begin to move toward... See, the moment he showed up, and he has a heart toward Jerusalem... All at once, all of these people who are in the area, these other governors, they're going to lose power. Right now, Jerusalem is absolutely subject to them. Right now, they're absolutely in control. And he's coming with the king's forces, concerned about the welfare of the people in Jerusalem, and these people are not pleased about it because they know that if Jerusalem's walls get built up and that becomes a secure place, that they will have lost power in that situation. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so, so vision is all about change. And uh, in your notes it says this, change is often perceived as a threat to those who are invested in the way things are. Sambalot, the governor of Samaria, understood that if Israel got on its feet economically and militarily, it would mean the end of his control in the area. Um, there, there is, you know, sometimes this this commitment to the way things are can shut off all kinds of possibilities, and people have. You, 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 don't, you guys uh, don 't remember this, but when I was your age, if you were talking about buying a watch, right, the best watch you could possibly consider buying was a Swiss watch. Very people, uh, Very few people would have a Swiss watch because they were highly expensive because it was the it, you know here it is this tiny little thing but it was completely it was like it was like one of the it was like big ben all the gears and everything had been shrunk down and it had been been made with such precision, this incredible amount of precision, that this little watch, you, you, you had to wind it up with your hand and it would tick, 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 and it would just go and it had springs inside of it and control it. It, was, it, it. But it was all compressed down to a little watch. And the number one place in the world, the people who made the very best watches in the whole world were in Switzerland. As a matter of fact, there were 50 thousand Swiss watchmakers. They had, you know, factories dedicated to this and all kinds of things happening. Well, somebody was working with um, uh, the electricity and and uh, the the quartz, you know, quartz, this element of quartz it vibrates at a certain rate when it's hit with certain things, and and they realize, wow, you know, that could be used. The vibration of that quartz could be used to actually power a small watch. Wouldn't that be a great idea? You know, no more winding of your watch anymore. You know, every day, you know, like I have a big old grandfather clock in my house, and every morning I get up and I pull the weights down and get it reset again for the next for the next day. No more winding or anything like that because this thing now is powered by this by this little electrical thing and so it, it, they figured if you were wanted to have a uh, uh, sell watches the best place in the world you should go talk to somebody is Switzerland so they went to Switzerland with this idea and they began to talk to them about you know hey how about this for a Swiss watch and'da but the people in Switzerland, the people that were involved in this kind of stuff, they were all invested in the way they had been doing it for the last several hundred years. And, uh, and they were all invested in the factories they had. And this whole idea of, of applying electronics to the idea of a watch, they just were not open to that idea at all. And so the Swiss actually rejected the idea of the quartz watch. So the people who were trying to sell the idea went to Japan, and they talked in Japan about it, and the Japanese people said, yeah, we'll give that thing a try, and they are the ones who stepped up and did that. Now, if you went to Switzerland, not, you wouldn't see 50,000 uh, watchmakers anymore, you might see just a couple thousand in the whole country. The reason being that nobody buys a Switch Swiss watch anymore, anybody who has a watch today, um, it, it would be a watch that is powered in the way that uh, this, these ideas, and, and probably your watch was made in Japan. That would just be a very common kind of thing uh, to happen, or China now. Uh, but that was, how, that, that was how that happened. It was because they, they were invested in the old, they could not embrace the new. And even here they came with the, a new idea, an idea that would revolutionize the clock business, but all they received in Switzerland was criticism, accusation, attack, everything else. So this, this, getting this idea that when people are invested in this way, this is the way things work. It, uh, in your notes it says this, Vision reflects poorly on those who are content with the way things are. Vision reflects poorly on those who are content with the way things are. A person comes to Christ and begins to get a vision for what could be could be, and should be in his life. This plays on the insecurities of those who don't want to change their life, so they try to slow his progress your vision may be causing someone to feel as if they're losing control. See, that's what happened in Switzerland. People felt as if, you know, this is going to, you know, all my skills are going to be useless now, and this, I'm, I'm just, they just had no room to make room for this, for this idea because of they felt they were going to be losing control. Well, this very same thing happens when you get a vision for your life. As a matter of fact, I hate to say this to you, but it can even happen here at Bible school. That is, I heard someone say, a fanat- what, what is the definition of a fanatic? A fanatic is someone who is more committed than you are. That's the definition of a f- fanatic. You know, you look at somebody who is willing to put more on the line than you and has a greater commitment than you, and everything else, you look at them and you say they're a fanatic, um, I, you know, I, I, think back of my, uh, of my friend Kevin Graves. Kevin Graves is the founder of Target Ministry in China. You've heard of Campus Target. Uh, Target Ministry uh, uh, went on before that. Kevin Graves was actually a basic student at a college, and and uh, as a result of of. Uh, coming to Elam for a basic retreat and stuff like that, he ended up coming to school here, left Colgate University, ended up coming to school here because he received a burden and a vision to go to China. This was like years ago now. Uh, to go to China and to to uh, begin to minister the word in China. At that time, China was absolutely closed. You could, you, it was virtually impossible to get into, and yet he received this vision. He, he When he was here, he's studying Chinese at the same time, he made a decision that he would not use hot water in any of his showers in the morning. And the reason he did that was he understood that in China he would not have access to hot water and so he wanted to begin to prepare himself and toughen himself up and so he took cold showers every day. The guy was absolutely passionately committed to the cause that God had birthed in his heart and as a result of that, some people didn't know how to connect with him. Are you with me? The guy here, this guy is like going for it with everything that he's got. And, and he's not, he wasn't trying to judge anybody else or say anything negative about anybody else. He was just pursuing the thing that God had put in him. But when you have a person around you who has a vision and has clarity about what's happening in their life and is willing to pay the price to get there and you are a little fuzzy and lost sometimes you can feel that you you don't like that it's threatening to you is this m- Does what I'm saying relate to you at all? Does this make sense to you? Okay. And, uh, you know, I heard one person say one time, they say, if you ever want to keep crabs in the bucket, it's no problem. You just always have to start with two when you put them in the bucket. Because if you put two crabs in a bucket, when one crab tries to get out, the other one will pull them back down in. See? So you never have to worry about losing your crab as long as you put at least two in the bucket because one will always pull the other one back down in. And you know something? Sometimes that can happen even in a place like this. One person begins to step out a little bit. One person begins to take a more radical stand than you're taking. One person begins to be a a little bit bolder than you are. One person begins to take a challenge that you're not willing to take. And there's something inside of us that wants to pull the crab back into the bucket. Are you with me? I think the Lord is trying to say something. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, some of the, I think of the, the Discovery Day students that are here today. You know, some of you may be making a commitment to want to go to a school or go to a ministry place, and there are people in your life that actually... Are, they're fighting against it. And you don't even understand. Why are they fighting against Why are they so opposed? Why are they doing this? But there, there's something in them where they feel they're going to lose something if you do this. They feel threatened somehow by your commitment, you know. And uh, this is the way it is. You know, you, you get out into the world a little bit coming up here, you know. And you make the decision, for example, not to have alcohol be a part of your life. You watch what happens to you at your office situation and your office thing because people will begin working you over and going after you. You go to a secular university and you make the decision. You know, my son uh, Todd went to Brockport State College for four years and he made the decision that he wasn't going to drink at all in the school. And uh, man, all you know, people w- that wouldn't relate to him, people that all kinds of attacks and things that came against him, all because he made this stand that he that he would do this. I remember one day when he came back from school, and he said to me, he said, I had an interesting conversation this week with a with a uh, with a girl at uh, school, and I, I said, well, what, what, you know, what was that? And he said, well, we were at lunch, and she she looked across at me, and she said, she said, what is it with you? She said, why don't you? get involved with, you know, everything that everybody else is involved with here at school and, out, you know, go, go to the smokers and go to the party and hang out. You know, what's, why are you doing that? And he stopped for a second and he looked at her and he said, uh, he said, do you really want to know? And she said, yeah. And he said, He said, because it's not for kings. That's what it says in the book of Proverbs, he says. It's not for people who have a vision, who have a purpose, who have a destiny, who have a sense of calling. He said, I don't want that to distract me. I don't want it to take away from where I'm going, from what I'm doing with my life. And he said, the girl began to cry at the table. And she looked at him, and she said, I didn't know. I didn't know you could live like that. I didn't know it it, it could be like that. Listen, we have a whole world like that girl that, that are out there. That they just, it's not, they're not hard-headed or hard-hearted. They just have no had nobody ever stand in front of them and look at them and say, it's possible to live with purpose. It's possible to live with destiny. It's possible to make a difference. And, and because of that, there are certain things I'm saying no to in my life. I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna be involved in. And, and with that, with that commitment, you know, it, it unlocks something in her. And there was a craving inside of her to be what God had birthed her to be before the foundation of the world. And she could feel it. Even though she didn't know the Lord, she just said, she said is it possible to live like that? Is it possible to be that kind of a person? And it is possible. When people are threatened by your vision, uh, in your notes, this is one, number three. When people are threatened by your vision, they will criticize it. They will try to get you to give up your vision so that they will not... Here's, a, here's the different things they will not. They will not feel the pain of insecurity. You know, sometimes when you have a vision and they don't have a vision... They feel fear in their, in their hearts. What will the future hold for them? As long as they're around people with no vision, then they, they feel, okay, well, this is okay. Everybody's like me. Everybody is just the same way I am. But when they meet somebody who has a vision for their own personal life, a, a, a sense of mission also, when they get around that person, all at once they can look at themselves and they go, where am I going? What's my, what's my life supposed to be about? And they feel threatened by that, and so they want to pull you back into the bucket. You can, you, you can, a, a, a person will, will 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 not want to lose power in your life. You know, power, it's so weird how this can be. I remember years and years ago when I went up to the first church I went up to in Oswego, um, the church had been uh, just a little tiny church, you know, what, maybe 30 people on a Sunday morning and for years, and and uh, there was a, a little lady in the church that basically, she was the kitchen mama, you know, she was in charge of the kitchen and everything that happened. If the little church had a little kitchen and they would have little church suppers and things like that. And uh, so anyway, the church begins to come alive, right? We go up there and over a couple of years, uh, st- college students start coming. Things start happening. The church becomes begins to become vibrant and alive. The church begins to grow. Has all kinds of young couples and families coming in, and all this kind of thing. But this one woman wants to still control everything that happens in the kitchen, right? So one day, the pastor schedules on a Sunday we're going to have a, a church supper after uh, the service on Sunday. I'm, you know, part of the leadership of the service. I'm up in front. In those days, they used to sit in the front. And I'm up in the front, and somebody from the congregation comes up to me halfway through the service and whispers in my ear and says, this woman has locked herself in the kitchen. <laughs> and I said, what? what? She, she's locked herself in the kitchen, and she won't come out. And uh, we're trying to prepare the church supper, but she won't let anybody in the kitchen, right? So I go downstairs, you know, the the pastor's speaking, and I I get up and slip down the back and go down the stairs, you know. And now I'm at the door, you know, Clara, honey, you got to come out of the kitchen, (laughs) right? Right? Well, they're ruining everything. I had everything in its place. I had all this. I had all that. Well, okay, I know, I know, but at least for today, we got to do it. We can talk more about it, but you gotta come out of the kitchen now, because we got a church supper that's starting, you know, in a few minutes here. And we gotta. But that, you know, that was just an example of what I'm talking about where a person's desire, uh, you know, I understand completely what was happening. For years, she was the big fish in this little tiny church of 30. And she had her little world that she had defined. You know, probably all the rest of her life, she had nothing in all the rest of her life that anybody was patting her on the back for or encouraging her for or anything else. But she had the little kitchen at the church. She was in charge of the little kitchen at the church, you know. And here, with revival, and with new things happening, all things that everybody in this room would have gone, yes, this is the Lord, this is what should be happening, this is beautiful, this is what... But with that happening, she would lose control of that kitchen. Are you with me? And all at once, things start coming out of her that are not good. People don't like it. People are threatened because they feel forced to change themselves. That is, if you make a decision to change it somehow highlights that they have been living kind of half-hearted lives. They haven't been giving their all. They haven't been giving their best. They haven't been putting it all on the line. They haven't been walking in holiness. They haven't been saying, and because they're living these half-hearted kind of lives, the moment you make a commitment to go a step beyond, the moment you make a commitment to say, no, I, I have a vision, I see something more, it makes, it underlines for them their shrinking back that not they're moving forward in faith but they're shrinking back and as a result of it they they, they do whatever they can do to get you to stop just stop because if you do this what does it say about me Ben went to see his daughter wanted to see his daughter come to faith in Christ and return to a lifestyle in keeping with biblical principles But his friends are constantly saying, leave her alone, kids are different today, that worked for you. She's got to make her own way in this world. And it makes sense to Ben, and his vision dies for his daughter. Jim and Linda are buried under a pile of debt because of a series of poor decisions early in their marriage. As a result of something they read, they catch a vision for debt-free living. Then they make the mistake of sharing their vision with Linda's parents, that's unrealistic, they say. Everybody has debt. Besides, by the time you get out of debt, you'll be so old, you won't be able to enjoy it. And Jim and Linda walk away discouraged, and a day or two later, they abandon their vision. As a Christian single, Chris has always, was always appalled by the adultery in his office. It appeared nobody was faithful to his wife, and it didn't seem to bother any of them. And when Chris got married, he vowed to be different. He envisioned a lifetime of faithfulness to Jenny. But the guys in the office had a different agenda for Chris. And they were determined to bring him down to their level. And eventually, Chris believed the lie, nobody is faithful anymore. And at a conference in Detroit, Chris gave up his vision. What he didn't realize was that in doing so, he extinguished Jenny's vision as well. Pete, a college freshman, shows up for classes with a vision for making a difference for Christ on his campus. He envisions starting a Bible study for the guys on his hall. And three weeks into the fall semester, he's sitting alone in his dorm, wondering why everybody is avoiding him. His roommate sticks his head in the door and says, Give it up, Pete. I know you mean well, but nobody's interested in all that Jesus stuff right now. Come on, let's go grab a beer. Pete grabs his jacket, follows his roommate into the night, and the vision is snuffed out. I just really felt as I was preparing this morning that some of you have succumbed to this. That even in coming to Elam, you had visions in your heart and that you have abandoned already the thing that God put inside of you. And, and, uh, and, and the people around you here, you know, uh, you, uh, you, uh, this school is filled with highly committed people, that tremendously dedicated, the cream of the crop of so many different places. But, you know, a person can even be here and lose their way. And you may have a person that you're hearing their voice and they're going, whoa, what is with you? Why be so intense about everything? Why be such a fanatic? Why be trying to go for it all the time? Why be, you know, hey, why don't we just enjoy ourselves? Why don't we just relax a little bit? Why don't we just take it easy? What's what's the problem? And, And that pressure has been put into your heart and all the things going on, you've let go of the vision. Let go of the thing that God's wanting to do in you and through you. The truth is, when you have a vision, you probably come across a little bit like a fanatic. Because you have more commitment than I have toward that thing. And the Spirit of God is trying to speak to you this morning. Would you just bow your heads and your hearts right now? And I want to ask you, will you renew... Will you renew the vision in your heart? Will you renew it? Will you just stop and just say, whoa, I just realized I've been bucketed by another crab. I've been pulled off the wall. I was trying to rise up to be something greater and to be something more. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't things that occasionally need to be filtered and adjusted and all that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about you, you've you lost the vision. You've, you've just said, I'm going to live just a less committed life, less fanatical, less intense. I'm just going to be part of the crowd. Everybody, it's, it's just, everybody just gets along with me so much better when I don't have uh, that intensity going on. In my life. And the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you and saying, I birthed that in you. And I have called you higher. I have called you higher. And every not everybody is going to understand what's happening inside of you. If you feel like the Lord has spoken to you this morning, would you just lift both of your hands in the air right now? By doing that, you're just saying, okay, I, I get it. I, I hear you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. Just lift your hands. Just say to him, you, by lifting your hands, you just say, you, you, all you're, you're saying to him is, uh, Lord, I, I see it. I'm repenting right now. I'm repenting from shrinking back. I'm repenting from half-heartedness. I'm repenting from trying to make uh, uh, other people feel comfortable with, with uh, my commitment and who I am. Lord, I, I'm repenting from this right now. And I say to you, renew your vision in my heart. Renew your vision inside of me, Lord. And I'm willing to pay the price because the price of you having a vision is you will experience criticism. Renew your vision. Lord, I ask you just renew our vision right now. Renew all over this room, hands are raised. I just ask you to renew the vision in our hearts that we will not be shrunken down to smallness. We will not be shrunken shrunken down to normalcy. We know we will not be shrunken down to the to the level of puny people who are going nowhere and doing nothing, Lord. We we ask you, God, to fill us with something that cannot be contained. Lord, we know we're going to have to mature in it. We know we're going to have to grow in it. It's not like we won't be fine-tuned by leaders or things like that. But we're not going to let ourselves be talked out of the fact that we have a destiny, that there's a mission, there's a purpose, there's a call, there's something you're doing with our lives. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's just applaud the Lord. Can we do that? He's worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God bless you.